details of my life are quite inconsequential. Read my lips. If you have sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my helm of disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus five holy avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public. No more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. The Michael Graff Show. It is my opinion he is a danger to himself and others and is in need of treatment. Some people are just too stubborn to know when to quit. And this guy just happens to be one of them. He's been beaten down repeatedly by God's practical jokes. He's been banished to the deepest, darkest corners of the internet. From somewhere in desert Urbania, this is Michael Groff in Exile. Alright, we're gonna we're gonna try and make it through it. It's going to be a bit of an adjustment today. Because as I am uh, doing this show right now, I've, I've got like my new glasses on here. I just got some uh, got some new shades, bad. Actually, uh, new prescription, new glasses, new tint to my glasses as well. So that's it's going to take just uh, a little bit of getting used to. So uh, we'll see if I can work all the equipment and do everything as uh, normally as I can. Things are a little bit clearer, but it is different. Like when you're, uh, for those of you that don't know, I wear glasses that, well, for many years I wore glasses that had an amber tint to them. So everything obviously had that amber hue and and I have uh, a, a specific correction for my glasses. It's a minus correction, so it makes things smaller. Anyway... The glasses I wear now have a have a different tint. It's uh, it's more of a of like a typical tint, like a brownish sort of tint. Still a little bit of amber, but anyway, it's it's a whole different color. So it's uh, it's different. It's something that's completely different from what I'm used to, and it's a different prescription as well. So I'm gonna have to try and get used to this. But anyway, it is Michael Groff in exile on this Monday, December 28th, 2009. And, um, well, the Christmas holiday season has come and gone. And uh, I'm, man, I, I, was, I was in the car today. I heard normal, I didn't hear Christmas music today, which, believe me, I was quite elated about. That was good. We've heard enough Christmas music for one season. And it was quite a weekend indeed. Not a good weekend for the airline industry, that's for sure. Not a good weekend for us as uh, citizens or air travelers either. So 
So if you wanted to go traveling, uh, if you're thinking about doing some air travel anytime soon, here's some advice. Don't. More completely needless, pointless security measures will be in place for the express purposes of inconveniencing you, not necessarily keeping you safe. As we've seen, all of these security measures that they have in place already, they haven't kept anybody else safe. It's, it's so weird. It's so weird. We have to talk about this. I mean, if I have this straight, and let me see if I understand this. One passenger out of a million decide is unsuccessful in blowing up one plane out of 5,000 flights in one day of the year. And so everybody from here to eternity must pay the price. Because the existing security measures that we have in place weren't sufficient and they were they failed. Because people didn't do their jobs as they were assigned to do them, everybody else, all passengers now must face the consequences. That's how I understand it. That's just ridiculous. All right, so we have to talk about that. Uh, We have an interesting case involving the North Dakota Supreme Court. I have to talk about this. This has to do with uh, speech, constitutional law. It's actually a really interesting case. And it's a bit of an interesting look into society as uh, the way this story is presented by the Associated Press they, they won't even dis- discuss the story as it's supposed to be discussed. They won't even talk about it in the nature that it should be talked about. It, it involves race. It involves some racial issues and, and language. And as we know, in this country, it's such a taboo subject that we can't even talk about it in the context of a news story without having to couch it and, and cover it up. So we're going to talk about this. But the story itself is actually very interesting as well. Um, Oh, uh, what state is the most religious state in the union? This is actually not too surprising. This would have been, if you gave me like three guesses, this probably would have been guess number two or three for me. I would have picked this out in a heartbeat. I mean, definitely it's top three. And so not a big surprise, but it is interesting to see what states consider themselves or what states have people that consider themselves to be the most religious. So... Uh, We'll talk a little bit about that and some other random things that I definitely want to get into as well. All right. Uh, And stupid news. Uh, There's plenty of of stupid news uh, going on in addition to all of that. So the holiday season has passed. Oh, one quick gratuitous shout out, if I might. Now, over the weekend, it was uh, kind of a special day as well. My mom turned 60 years old. So happy birthday to my mom. She turned 60 years old yesterday on the 27th. And so that was, uh, that was a big thing. And uh, we all went out, had, a, had dinner over at a nice uh, little place by my house, uh, some pizza and uh, some, some beer and wine and all sorts of other stuff. So it was a whole big thing yesterday. My mom turned 60 years old, which makes me feel even older. Thanks a lot, mom. No, it does. You know, it's bad enough that I turned 32 um, just under three weeks ago. And now here, my mom is turning 60 and it's just, but she's, she hasn't slowed down a bit and uh, I'm sure she's going to be taking a new advantage of some of the senior discounts that she's going to get at various places. I don't think she's gotten an AARP card yet, although you can get that when you're 50. Do you know, I actually got sent an AARP card about a year ago. 
And uh, I thought about actually doing it. I thought about since, since, I mean, they were dumb enough to send me an AARP card. I'm at the time I was 31 and uh, they had my name on it. And I, and you know, listen, I'm not about, uh, I'm not against going after discounts, even if I'm not technically eligible for them, I'll do it. If it's free, give me three. All right, so over the weekend, um, another unfortunate story for the airline industry, a flight from Amsterdam to Detroit, Northwest Airlines Flight 283 from Amsterdam to Detroit, had a little incident when, uh, what's this iChart's name again, this, uh, this terrorist that tried to, uh, let me see, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to try and get this guy's name right, even though I really don't care, but Umar Farak Abdul Matalab. Abdul Matalib, Umar Farouk, Abdul Matamid, whatever. Uh, he tried to take over a uh, flight from Amsterdam to Detroit. Let me tell you a little bit about this. Now, if you've never taken an international flight before, um, this is, well, it's, it's definitely an experience. First of all, going through customs, you're asked uh, several questions about where you're going, what your business is there, how long you plan to be there, if you plan on purchasing anything, blah, 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 how much money you're bringing with you, all sorts of different questions whenever you fly internationally. And the, the thing here about this flight that makes this story even more interesting, well, let me just tell you what happened. So uh, this terrorist... This surprise, surprise, this Muslim, uh, Umar Farouk, uh, he brought an explosive on the plane. Somehow he was able to get an explosive on this flight and uh, tried, to tried to detonate it during the flight. He tried uh, to put this together and uh, take over the plane and then blow it up. That was his goal. But the passengers weren't going to have any of that, and they basically kicked the guy's ass. That is a short version of what happened on this flight. And it again speaks to what I've always said on this program ever since 9-11 is that now airlines flights are unhijackable. There's no way that anybody is going to be able to hijack a flight now. We saw this back in 2002 when somebody tried to take over a flight over Australia and the passengers beat him. Somebody else tried to open a, um, an emergency exit on a flight once. And the passengers beat that guy within an inch of his life. Somebody else went nuts and tried to get into the cockpit and they choked that guy almost to death. So uh, airline passengers are much more cognizant of what's going on. Plus, they see it this way. You know, back in the, back in the 80s and back before 9-11, when people wanted to hijack a plane, they usually were doing it to take it to either Cuba or somewhere. You know, they wanted to take the plane someplace hold the passengers for ransom and get some money or get some weird demand that they had met. But now passengers see it as, look, they're going to take this plane. They're going to fly it into a building anyway. So if I'm going to die, I might as well at least try to stop these people and try to uh, take over the plane so that, you know, maybe there's a chance we can stay alive because if we don't, we know we're going to die. They're either going to blow it up in midair or they're going to fly it into a building someplace and so we're going to die that way. So we might as well just try and take it over. We've got nothing to lose. And that's why I, I say that it's pretty much impossible to hijack an airliner now. The passengers just won't allow it. They will overcome the person trying to do it. Plus, you know, at least on domestic flights, there's supposedly air marshals that still go on at least some of the flights. So there's always a chance that you could encounter that as well. So there's, 
there's something to be had in all these uh, flights, some roadblock for any terrorist. But of course, that's not nearly enough. Now we have to have all the uh, increased security. The interesting thing is, of all the flights that this guy tries to do it on, it's the Amsterdam to Detroit flight, as a one that is normally even more heavily secured. Because as you may know, in Amsterdam, marijuana is legal. You know, they have the, the coffee shops there in uh, Amsterdam where you can get all the hash that you could possibly ever have. You can get higher than a kite anytime, anywhere you want in Amsterdam, all right? So on the flight back, they always make sure they have the drug-sniffing dogs that are usually there. They check to make sure you don't have a single leaf of marijuana on you anywhere, all right? Not anything, Hell, if you're high going on the plane, they're, uh, they're going to be suspicious of you. So, because here in this country, as you know, we have such restrictive marijuana laws. We put people in jail for years and years uh, for having nothing more than a couple of joints on them. That's how we handle marijuana here. We're very sensible here in the United States. But anyway, so, that's, uh, so it's a very heavily scrutinized flight from Amsterdam to Detroit. But apparently, all the security measures that are put in place... Worldwide, we have all these beefed up security measures. And I've always said that these beefed up security measures are pointless. If somebody really wants to blow up a flight, they're going to do it. If somebody really wants to cause trouble, they're going to do it. All the security in the world isn't going to matter. The old uh, Chris Rock joke really applies here when he would say, uh, airport security is to make white people feel safer. That's all it is. It is ostensibly pointless. It's just inconveniencing travelers. It's just helping to derail the airline industry. So this guy was, uh, the weird thing is, this uh, Abdul, Abdul Mutalib, Abdul Mutalib is on a, uh, he was on a, a watch list in the UK because he tried to apply for a student visa. He tried to get into the UK via a student visa, and he was denied. And then he was put on a watch list. He, uh, he became this Muslim, this radical kind of Muslim guy on terror watch lists. Before the flight, he paid $8,500 in cash to fly from Amsterdam to Detroit. And all he had for a carry-on was a very, it was had a small bag for a carry-on. And that was it. So obviously quite suspicious, but guess what? They let him right on through. But I bet they were sure to stop a 79-year-old quadriplegic woman and strewn out all of her baggage all over the, the damn airport terminal. I bet they did that. And I bet they stopped a seven-year-old too. And I bet they inspected every single white guy that walked right on through there. And I bet, excuse me, sir, excuse me, come over here a minute. You need to have a little extra screening. Yeah, but I don't have, I just have a care, sir, sir, sir. Yeah, but there's a guy right there. He's, there's a Middle Eastern dude right there getting on the plane. He's got a bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, we can't go after him because we'll be accused of racial profiling, and we certainly don't want to do that. So you have to come with me, sir. I've never seen... This is so, so ridiculous. I've never seen a situation where we know what the suspects look like, what they act like, who they are, and yet... We're not going to, we're not going to try and stop them. It's like, 
If a Hispanic guy robs a bank, if a 40-something-year-old if a Hispanic guy wearing a white shirt, driving a red truck, drive, uh, robs a bank, you would think the police would want to stop the 40-something Hispanic guys that wearing white shirts and driving red trucks in the area. You'd think they'd want to do that. But see, here in the United States, we don't do that. We stop everybody but that person because we don't want to be accused of singling anybody out. Middle Eastern men between the ages of 16 and 40. What was this guy? A Middle Eastern man between the ages of 16 and 40. I mean, and he was on watch lists. See, all the security that you have in the world, it doesn't matter. If you don't do your job, if you don't do things properly, if you're not competent, if you don't enforce your own security measures, but you're sure to stop the 75-year-old woman in a wheelchair, well, guess what then? These things are going to continue to happen. You have to racial profile. But of course, we're not going to. This is the mess that we've created. We've created this mess. The airline industry is culpable in this mess. And now, here's the real rip. And here's the real aspect of the story that's the most interesting to me. Never mind all this. What happens from here is the interesting part. Now, passengers are going to be inconvenienced. We've already seen copious airport delays. And what they're saying for the upcoming, you know, because we're still in the holiday travel season. So airports are facing a much busier travel time than usual. They're telling international passengers to get to the airport four hours early, minimally, four hours early. And some of the new rules that are being put into effect on international flights coming into the United States are no electronics. No laptops, no iPods, no cell phones. No access to your carry-on bags in the last hour of the flight. No using the restroom in the last hour of the flight. You can't have a pillow or a blanket on your lap within the last hour of the flight. You must stay in your seat at all times. Yes, if you feel a cramp, you feel the need to stand up, you'll probably be shot if you do, so don't do it. Don't stand up. Stay in your seat. And for domestic flights, you might want to expect the same thing as well, or at least similar things. Electronic devices, no. Daring to stand up, no, don't do it. Using the restroom in the last hour of a flight, absolutely not. And for, internet, for uh, domestic flights, you might want to get to the airport three hours ahead of time because they're also going to increase uh, security in these... Um, they're going to have extra pat-downs, uh, bomb-sniffing dogs, um, extra, just extra, 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 extra security. That's pointless and needless. One guy out of 10 million tries, tries to blow up one flight out of 5,000 in one day out of the year, and we go nuts. And you're saying, well, Mike, what about the, we, we do need the extra security, don't you think? I mean, what if this guy had been successful? Yeah, well, guess what? I hate to tell you this. I'm going to, I have to break this down for you. If somebody really, really wants to blow up a flight, if somebody really wants to blow up a plane, they're going to do it. Whether they do it because by having explosives in, uh, on various people and put placing, you know, under their skin or something like that or whatever. 
Or maybe they decide to fire shoulder-mounted missiles at the plane from the ground. If they want to blow up a flight badly enough, they're going to do it. And there's nothing that all the security in the world can do to stop it. And at some point, it becomes not even about the security anymore. It becomes a complete inconvenience to the passengers. And I can tell you right now, based on a lot of the things I'm reading and a lot of things I'm seeing, that's what's happening here. Passengers are becoming increasingly inconvenienced. They're finding uh, air, air flights, uh, air travel just to be ridiculous now. And that's where, we're, that's where we're heading. We're getting to the point now where if you want to fly anywhere, especially regionally, if you're just flying around your local region, it's not even worth it. I, I use this example from time to time, and it really applies now. So it's a busy travel time of the year. So they're saying get to the airport three hours early. All right. I'm going to give you a scenario. Say I want to go to Las Vegas. I live in Phoenix. All right. So from my door of my house to the airport or to the, uh, to the hotel that I usually stay in in Vegas, from my door to the hotel is about, give or take, five to five and a half hours. That's if you go just a hair over the speed limit. And you encounter relatively few traffic delays along the way. I've gotten to Vegas even faster than that before. But the average five to five and a half hours, all right? But if I try to fly to Vegas, let's say my flight is scheduled to leave at 8 a.m., all right? If I have to get to the airport three hours early, that means I have to leave my house at a quarter to five, about 4.45 a.m., all right? I leave at 4.45 a.m. and I, uh, I arrive at the airport 5 a.m. I get there. If I have bags, I check them. And that means, by the way, I'm paying a little extra money to check bags, by the way. Usually I don't, uh, I, usually I just have my carry-on that I bring to Vegas that has all my stuff in it. But let's say I check it. All right, so I check the bag. Then I go through the unnecessary security screens. I get patted down. I get checked because, you know, I'm a very, I'm a very dangerous person, a 32-year-old white male from the Midwest. I'm, I'm extremely dangerous. I pose a big threat to this country. Anyway, so I go through the unnecessary security. I'm waiting. I get on the flight. It's 8 a.m. Of course, especially if you're taking U.S. Airways, the flight never leaves on time. So you're prob the flight's probably going to leave at 8.30, which means it's about a 45 or 50-minute flight to Vegas. So 45 minutes. So now it's 9.15. I land in Vegas. Now I have to wait about a half hour to get my luggage. So there's 9.45. Then I have to go out to the taxi line, wait for a taxi. That can be, that can be uh, up to an hour, but sometimes 10 to 30 minutes. So there's another half hour. So now we're at, we're at 10, 15, all right? Now the, the taxi cab, the taxi ride from the airport to the hotel, 20 minutes, there's 10.35 a.m. So from 4.45 to 10.35 a.m., that's almost six hours, five hours, 50 minutes from my door to the hotel flying versus five hours. If I left at 4.45 a.m., I'd be there by 9.45 a.m. driving. Advantage driving. And guess what, by the way? I'm going to pay less in gas because it's like 50 bucks in gas to get from here to Las Vegas, give or take. Maybe a little more. Maybe, maybe. So I'm paying less money. I'm less inconvenienced. I can leave at my own time. I don't have to go through any unnecessary security, blah, blah. I can carry my, my razor blades and not have to worry about it. 
and I'm just fine. So I'm never, I'm not going to fly. Why would it, there's no advantage in flying there for me. Oh yeah, I mean, sure. The actual travel time is less, but not when you factor in all the BS that surrounds it. See, that's where the real problem is. So um, that's why uh, regional travel, at least for me, is always going to come down to driving. That goes for driving to LA, San Diego, Las Vegas, anywhere in the greater Southwest, I'm probably going to wind up driving there with somebody. Just makes more sense. Yeah, sure, driving's kind of a pain in the ass. and But I don't know. I, I'd rather have that than the inconvenience myself. Who wants to get molested going to the airport? Especially when you know you're not doing anything wrong. You're just an average guy. And you know that they're not screening the people that are probably going to do this, something wrong anyway because they, they're afraid. They're afraid of, of some lawsuit because of the overly litigious society that we live in and the ACLU. I mean, thanks a lot, guys. I mean, remember the big, the big blow up that we had because they dared to stop those imams in the Los Angeles or the uh, Minneapolis airport. And every once in a while, they give the extra screening to the Middle Eastern guy, and then they pitch a fit and they run to the ACLU or they run to some discrimination attorney, and then they file a seventy-three million dollar lawsuit against Airline X. I mean, what nuts? How how, how much sense does that make? It's just insane. All right, so obviously that was the big story over the weekend. Guy tried to blow up a plane. Yeah, all right. So we'll be paying for that for years and years to come. Uh, that also raised the terror alert color to, what was it, Puce or Navajo Sunset or Baby Green or whatever it is. I don't know. Some, some different color, this convoluted terror alert system. Uh, by the way, I thought we were going to have hope and change. I thought we were getting rid of the color-coded system. Oh, I guess not. We're keeping that, too. We kept the debt. We increased the debt. We increased the unemployment. We've got the terror alert system. We got the unnecessary security. Where is the change? Oh, yeah, we're getting the health care that we can't pay for. Well, that's good. That's, that's real good. We still have the terrorism issue. We got that. That's, that's swinging in full and high gear right now. I think, uh, I think everything's going swimmingly, don't you? Unbelievable. All right, coming up. We'll get off that and we'll get on to something else. We do have other airline news involving Ivana Trump. Yeah. That and more coming up. It's Michael Groff in exile. Back with segment number two. Oh, and the... Uh, so much for those undefeated, so much for that undefeated season, huh? For the Indianapolis Colts. That's out the window. All right, all that coming up. It's Michael Groff in exile. Segment number two, it's Michael Groff in Exile. One of the elements that I did manage to find from uh, 
the old show. This uh, pretty awesome cover done by Adam Barrett of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I love this cover. I'm going to let a little bit of it play. Welcome to your life. There's no turning back. Even while we sleep, we will find you acting on your best behavior. Turn your back on Mother Nature. Everybody wants to rule the world. From our crappy cover segment, and this is one of the times when we were looking for covers and we found a good one. And whenever you'd find a good one, you'd want to hold on to it. So this somehow, somehow we still managed to uh, hang on to this one. May not be able to access all the old bumpers, but I at least have this. Alright, so it's the holiday season. That means it's bowl season in college football. Oh, boy! Bunch of uh, exhibition games. You know, I couldn't tell you who's in most of these. I don't know who's in the Poinsettia Bowl. I don't know who's in the Las Vegas Bowl. You know, I, I didn't do any bowl picks or anything like that this year. Even the national championship game's a yawner because... The problem is, is that we're always told how every game in college football counts. Every week is like a playoff. But if that's the case, then how come the undefeated teams aren't being given a chance? How come Cincinnati and Boise State, how come some of these teams aren't being given an opportunity to play for the national championship? If every game counts, which we know that's a bunch of BS in college football. Every game counts as long as you're in a major conference, as long as the uh, the voters approve, as long as the voters have you ranked fairly highly in the preseason, as long as the computer equations that are out there think that you're a good team. That's what really matters. Might as well run up the score while you're at it, too. And if you are in a major conference, you can lose one game as long as you lose early. What a stupid system that is. I hate these college and, and college football this year was especially bad. Let's see, Urban Myers leaving, blah, blah, blah. I mean, all these different college football related stories. I don't even really care that much. Probably because the other factor is that the college football teams that are around uh, the region here are terrible. Arizona State is, is awful. Arizona is generally awful. NAU is Division Two or whatever. So, who even knows? At least they have a playoff system in Division Two. They don't have one Division One. Sorry, or one Double A. They've got one, but Division One, no college football playoff system. Sorry, there's one in college basketball. College baseball is the College Baseball World Series. You know, the hell in hockey they have uh, a playoff system, but not in college football. I've still yet to grasp that. A 
team can go undefeated, team can have a great season, team can go out there and run the table, and it doesn't really matter. Hawaii ran the table a couple of years ago. They didn't get a chance to play for the national championship. I mean, sure, that team was kind of a joke, and all they did was score like 70 points a game. I mean, that's all they did. They only scored like 70 points a game. It's some ridiculous margin of victory over everybody that they played. And yeah, sure, in, that, in, the, in the bowl game that they played and they got absolutely throttled, but maybe that was because the game didn't mean anything. You're probably going to get your ass kicked in a game that means nothing. And with that in mind, let's go to uh, the NFL where yesterday the Indianapolis Colts lost. The fourteen and all, uh, the fourteen and zero Indianapolis Colts. They got uh, they got beat by the Jets yesterday. Well, again, it's a situation where Peyton Manning got taken out of the game. I mean, a bunch of guys got taken out of the game for the Colts, and and really, the game didn't mean anything to the Colts. I mean, yeah, I guess they probably would have wanted a perfect season. They would have wanted to go undefeated, but what does that really mean? They're in the playoffs. They're going to be the number one overall seed in the AFC anyway. So, what's the point in risking injury? And you go out there, you play your starters for a while, and then, yeah, sure, the Jets the Jets played hard. They actually won. They're still in the playoff hunt at 8-7. and seven. And really, all they have to do is win next week. If they win next week, in all probability they will, if they win next week, they, um, they uh, go on and they'll be in the playoffs. The Broncos, they're on the outside looking in, really, because even if they win next week... The Jets win, and the Ravens win. Then um, I guess, I guess uh, Denver is going to be out of the mix. I think Denver. Who's Denver playing next week? I think they're playing Kansas City right now, oh, brother. Well, they'll probably win that game. They should. Of course, they couldn't even beat the Raiders. Denver just needed to beat the Raiders, the sorry ass Raiders, once, and they couldn't even do that. The Broncos, man, woof. Oof. I mean, if you're a Bronco fan, listen, they started 6-0. and They had some nice wins on the season. Okay, they, but then they started to hit that wall. They ran into that wall. They hit Pittsburgh when Pittsburgh was still playing. Okay, they, they, ran, into, they ran into a wall. They fell terribly. And since then, they just haven't been able to recover. They're done. Denver is probably done unless the Jets lose. Denver's pretty much done because there's all these different tiebreaker scenarios that it comes down to. And one of the tiebreakers uh, that's like third or fourth in the list is like strength of schedule, you know? And so that's, um, so I guess Denver's strength of schedule because they're playing, see if the playoffs somehow started today, which is my least favorite expression, but if the playoffs started today, Denver would be in because their strength of schedule is stronger. But see, since they play Kansas city next week, it's going to drag them down. So if they end up in, the, in that tiebreaker scenario, that's going to hurt them. Sucks to be you, Denver. What can I say? All right. So while I was prepping the show today, I found this. And this, this is just one of those things that really bothers me. It's one of those lists. You know, I'm a sucker for lists, as I always say on the show. And um, one of the lists that's gotten to me is... Um, I saw this. This is one of those pieces. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what it is first. It's called the 10 things guys should never do. And it's written by some woman. Diane Otis is her name. Now, I'm going to just take a guess. I know nothing about this woman. I haven't looked up her bio or anything, but I'm just going to take a guess 
that she's probably around a 40-something woman, probably right around 40. And it's one of those self-aggrandizing, sort of self-satisfying pieces where she digs out a little bit of the man hate based on her own personal experience. And that's, listen, that's fine. But um, it's one of those sort of pompous, you know, guys, we love you. We really love you. In fact, she actually says that. The opening paragraph of this, which should be an immediate red flag. And I think she has a husband. I mean, God help this poor bastard. And uh, it's, it's, she starts out by, this, this is exactly what it says. It says, um, <clears throat> I remember, I, I have new glasses, so I have to sort of adjust here. Guys, we love you. We really do. But as wonderful as you are, every so often you do something that makes us want to jump out the nearest window, parentheses, or push you out first. Please, please don't ever. And then she has a list. I almost don't even want to read this, but it's just, it got me so upset especially a couple of the things on here. You know, some of the stuff is just, is stupid, you know, typical kind of housefrau nagging about their husband sort of BS. And that's what this is too. You can tell the perspective here. The perspective is a 40-something housefrau that's gotten a little bit too fat and happy with herself, you know, that thinks that what she says is so important and she's, she's edgy because she's got something to say about men and she's going to get them. So she says, please don't ever, number one, offer to babysit your own kids. When your 16-year-old neighbor does it, it's called babysitting. When a parent does it, it's called child care. And it lasts for at least 18 years. Get it? <laughs> See what she did there? So she made it so if you say something like, well, I'll babysit the kids. Ha, well, no, you won't because you're their father, idiot. See what she did there? Boy, that's real clever. Now here, number two is really what gets me though. Number two is the, is the thing that probably is the con major contribution to the 50 plus percent divorce rate in this country. She says, you should never, too, imply that office work is harder than housework. At the end of a hard day, there may be smoke coming out of your ears, but let's face it. You've basically been sitting on your butt. That same smoke is coming out of our ears too. But we've cleaned the house, shuttled the kids around, run errands all over town, and lugged grocery bags. Besides, when we say we're exhausted, we are exhausted. All right, let me explain how the real world works uh, to the woman that thinks like this. Okay, here's the real world. If you happen to be lucky enough to be a housefrau and at home while the, while the man goes out and, and works in the typical 1950s style Ward and June Cleaver sort of manner. If you are that woman that stays home, then you should be cleaning the house. You should be shuttling the kids around. What, do you want a cookie for doing that? What, do you, you want us to give you a gold star because you did what you were supposed to do? Hey, honey, it's called child care. Get it? That's using your own logic. I mean, how stupid is this? We've shuttled the kids around all day. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. And guess what? You know those grocery bags that you're lugging around? Where do you think the money comes from for you to be able to go out and buy the grocery bags? And where do you think the money comes from so that you can drive around and shuttle the kids around and run errands all over town? Where do you think it comes from? It comes from that office work where we're just sitting on our butts all day. 
Of course, you realize the typical guy that's being nagged by somebody like this isn't somebody that's working in an office, probably. They're usually somebody that's uh, doing construction all day. They're out putting up a building. They're out laying down forms, putting up columns someplace, painting the side of a, of a house or something. You know, they're, they're doing some manual labor out there. They're digging ditches or doing construction. They're running around. So, yeah, uh, I hate to tell you this, but no. You ran the vacuum for five minutes, okay? Yeah, it's like you make it sound like you clean every day. You should be cleaning. A guy that goes out... See, this is the thing, and I say this... Role reversal, too. If a woman is doing all the work, if a woman goes out and, and is the breadwinner and a guy is staying home all day, you damn well bet the house should be clean. If you're the, if you're the person that goes out and works all day, then when you come home, there should be a clean house, whether it's man, woman, whatever. Okay? The person that's at home should be doing the housework and they shouldn't be expecting accolades. And I don't want to hear, ooh, I'm exhausted. Man, I did the dishes today. Ugh, I'm just wiped out from it. And you know what I did today? I cleaned the refrigerator. Yeah, you know what I did today? I made us money so we could have stuff to put in the refrigerator. Shut up. Uh, other things that are on the, her list here that you should not do. I, I'll tell you what's number one on my list for things women shouldn't do. Make stupid lists about what you expect guys to do. Anyway, number three on her list. Uh, guys, you should not. Three, give a home appliance as a gift. Forgive us if we can't work it up for this one. A new washing machine? Really? Can we get you some new snow tires? You know, forgive me, but doesn't a house need a washing machine? Doesn't a house need a dishwasher and coffee maker and microwave and those appliances? I mean, sorry. Uh, let's see, number four is pretty stupid. She says, buy us a cougar perfume. Under our crew neck sweaters may beat the heart of an, untamed, of an untamed vixen, but most of us don't want to smell like one. Nice try, though. Five, brag about your driving. This is supposed to let us know that ours isn't so great. If my husband tells me one more time that he's been accident-free since 1978, I'm going to reach over, grab the wheel, and make the car swerve into something just to shut him up. Yeah, and then he's going to reach over and grab the divorce papers and have you sign them. And then you won't be able to sit at home and write your stupid column all day. You might actually have to, I don't know, earn a living. Six, guys should not, quote, be unimpressed by a meal that took a lot of time and trouble. So what? You, you I don't know. Sounds to me also like you're dating jackasses or like you're married to a jackass kind of a little bit what it sounds like too. But then again, that would be typical, wouldn't it? Seven, buy clothes without trying them on. Listen, if I know that a pair of pants is going to fit me, I don't need to try it on. See, women put on show, women go to stores to put on a show for people. They go in the dressing rooms, they try on 72 things. You know what guys do? When the guys go to a department store, when guys go to someplace and they want to get something, they get it and they get out. It's called being practical. We're not there to put on a fashion show. We're there to get clothes, and then we're there to get out. That's what we do. I won't even read. Let's see. Um, <clears throat> eight. Ten th this, these are the 10 things guys should not do, written by Diane Otis. Okay. Uh, thing number eight that guys 
shouldn't do. Eight, know it all, especially in public. Oh, honey, well, you're going on. Well, you're going on at length about whatever it is. We're taking the temperature of the room and we know everyone's starting to fidget. Yeah, because as you know, <clears throat> whenever you go to a social situation with women, they never carry on about, oh, my husband is such a, a bragger about this. They're not talking and cackling with the other hens about all the problems they're having with their husbands. That never happens. Not once have I ever been in a, in a social gathering where I've heard a bunch of women talk about how great their husband is. No, they're usually bitching about something that he does. So that's another thing that this woman could kindly shove up her ass. Number nine, say anything remotely critical about our new haircut. Yeah, God forbid that, you know, that there be honesty in the relationship. No, we should tell you that everything looks fine and everything's great. Okay. Okay, that's the kind of relationship you want. Well, now that I know, thank God. I wouldn't be able to be with this woman for 10 seconds. 10. Expect a medal for doing a little housework. Um, it's your house too, right? For now, we'll give you the bronze. Maybe someday, if you work hard enough, you can pick up a gold. Yeah, and you know who's going to be able to afford that medal? Me, because I'm the guy that's going out and working. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, who does this woman... Another self-righteous, self-important, self-aggrandizing column written by some 45-year-old housefrau. Nice job. Way to further the stereotypes that guys have about women. Good job. All right. Um, coming up, got to talk about an interesting case in the North Dakota Supreme Court. Oh, first, let me get to this before we uh, end this segment. So, you know, they're, they're having a, the, the decade. We're coming to a close on the decade. I know some people say, well, technically, Mike, the decade started in 2001. <laughs> yeah, okay. But for the rest of us, we're counting 2000 through 2009. All right? Anyway, so the decade is wrapping up. And the state that's apparently had the worst decade, according to some survey, I don't know. The state that's had the worst decade is Florida. I might admit to that. It's been a bad decade for Florida. Let's see. We had the 2000 election. You had Alien Gonzalez, Dale Earnhardt, Terry Schiavo. 2004 saw six different tropical storms and hurricanes hit Florida from Charlie, Francis, Ivan, Gene. Actually, I think that was 2005. Whatever. A lot of hurricanes battered the state. Um, <clears throat> lost, uh, lost homeowners insurance, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, a lot of, lot of bad things happened. I'm just sort of leading, uh, reading this list that they provide. A lot of this is kind of stuff that only Floridians would really know about or people from a Florida perspective, but whatever. Uh, apparently, it was, uh, it was just a disastrous year for the state of Florida. Oh, and here you go. And in August 2009, the University of Florida announced that a lot of people are actually leaving Florida. For the first time in 62 years, the state actually lost population. The estimate was just a sliver of a loss, 58,000 people, but still it represents a historic, once unthinkable event. So it was a rough year 
for the state of Florida. And just to tack onto that, this is from Palm Beach, Florida, a little more airline news. Ivana Trump. Ivana Trump, you might remember, she's the, uh, the ex-wife of Donald Trump. Ivana Trump, uh, according to police, was escorted off a plane in Florida after she became belligerent when children were running around screaming through the aisles. Authorities say the first wife of billionaire Donald Trump cursed at children Saturday and then flight attendants on the New York-bound plane tried to calm her. But when they did, she became even more aggravated. Her spokeswoman, Catherine Saxton, did not immediately return a telephone call seeking comment. Not really a surprise there. Oh, and as a nice little add-on, a little footnote to the story, Ivana Trump filed for divorce from her fourth husband earlier this month. I'm glad that they threw that in there because that's, that's totally germane to this story. But it is it's kind of a nice little dig, isn't it? So nice to see Ivana Trump is uh, furthering the reasons why uh, Donald decided to dump her long, long ago. Although I have to admit that when you're on a plane and you've got kids running around, that's domestic terrorism, if I've ever seen it, by the way. You got kids running around screaming. I sat in a plane from Phoenix to Minneapolis once. There was a kid screaming in my ear most of the way. I finally just told the kid to shut up, him and uh, his mom. I was just like, can't you control your kid? I mean, really? I mean, it was, it, it was embarrassing. It was terrible. And everybody else around me was just looking at me like, oh, you poor bastard. <laughs> and finally, I said something. And um, I think the people were quite grateful that I did because nobody else was going to. But see, I wasn't really belligerent or anything like that. I just, I just told the woman as it was. I mean, I, like I said, I was just saying what everybody else was thinking. And that was, hey... Your kid's obnoxious, uh, obnoxious, and uh, shut up. And that's really about it. All right, you want to get in touch with this program, you can always do so. Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. All of our contact information and more is available at MichaelGroff.com. And, uh, you know, the thing is, um, we're also on Facebook and such, so you want to add me over there, feel free. It's the... Agonizing pain in which I live with every day. This is Michael Graff in exile. We'll be back. Segment number three, the final segment for a Monday, December 28th, 2009. It's Michael Graff in exile. Yeah. So, you know, what's cool about this is I really could do a, uh, a music-based podcast as well. I could... There's all sorts of possibilities I could do with this show, not just sitting here and talking like a dope for an hour. 
I think there's a lot of possibility, a lot of things. Meanwhile, though, there is lots of stuff to talk about. I mean, we could play more shiny toy guns all day, but I don't know. All right, here's a fascinating story about um, constitutional law. And this is what could actually be sort of a landmark case about speech. And uh, it, it relates to racism and it relates to some pretty sensitive subject material. All right. Right now, there's a rather interesting case being heard by the state Supreme Court of North Dakota. It's actually two different cases, a 14-year-old white male and a 14-year-old white female are being charged with disorderly conduct after they called a 17-year-old black female a stupid, and as it says here in the AP, they actually say the, the term a stupid, parentheses, slur. What they did was they called her a stupid nigger, okay? And so they were charged with disorderly conduct as a result. And now the judges on the state Supreme Court have to determine whether or not what they did is considered constitutionally protected speech. Because as we know, in this country, you're allowed to be a racist, okay? You're allowed to use racial slurs. That's not against the law. So using any kind of slur that you want, it's, it's all considered protected speech. That's already been dis- d- determined, okay, in case after case. But North Dakota has a law They consider part of disorderly conduct when it comes to speech is any any uh, comment that is directed at someone and is considered abusive, derogatory, defamatory, harmful, etc. All right. So if it is meant to provoke or incite. Um, If it's, you know, some sort of, you know, pejorative comments are one thing, but if it's meant in an abusive manner with the intent of inciting or, or, you know, harming that person, defaming that person in some way, then that's when it becomes disorderly conduct. However, as the law says, the law does not apply to constitutionally protected speech. So there's sort of a, there's sort of a, an interesting sort of gray area here. Now, if the United States Supreme Court has already determined. Now, I, I, as far as I know, they have already determined that this is all constitutionally protected speech. So I guess this would be kind of a no-brainer. However, the state Supreme Court has to determine the intent here and they have to determine sort of the, the context. Because by themselves, this is going to sound weird to say, but in literature, throughout history, you know, racial slurs have been put in or what are considered racial slurs. I mean, the word, uh, let's just face it, the word nigger, um, you know, tyke and other things has appeared in motion pictures, in literature, in other places all throughout American history. Okay, so uh, these words by themselves, sure, you wouldn't want to use them in mixed company, but these words by themselves are historic. They're a part of the language and culture. So in certain contexts, they're considered to be acceptable. And of course, we all know the stereotype where you know, black folks use the N-word toward other black folks, and, and that's considered acceptable as well, culturally acceptable. Whether it's right or wrong, that's a whole different story, but it's acceptable. So you can't necessarily charge people with disorderly conduct there, or could you? 
See, this raises a whole bunch of questions. So the state Supreme Court's going to have to uh, hear this case. The lawyer, there's a lawyer that's hearing both of these cases involving, and again, the 14-year-old boy and the 14-year-old girl both used the same slur on the same night back in February at a dance against a 17-year-old black female. And uh, so this is going to be a very interesting case or cases to see how this determines because this could be landmark in uh, other cases across the country. See, constitutional law is actually pretty fascinating. And uh, I consider myself something of a scholar of the United States Constitution. I don't claim to know everything about it, but I certainly know uh, the amendments, what they mean, where they sort of came from, the purpose behind them, particularly the first 10 amendments. And it's, uh, you know, it's a great document. But again, the, how this is going to affect things is it's going to be interesting what this does for future comments. And, and of course, we all know that there's hate speech. We know that there's hate crimes. But using racial slurs or pejorative comments toward a particular race of people is not a hate crime because it's considered constitutionally protected speech, at least for now. But we'll see how that ultimately determines. In other news, by the way, there's black people in North Dakota. I didn't know that. Having lived in North Dakota and having visited North Dakota, I've never seen one, so I don't know. I, I didn't think that they existed there. It's like, it's like Montana. I didn't think they had black folks there. They have Native Americans. There's a couple of Hispanic people. You know, there's, uh, there's a few. But, I mean, generally speaking, I, I, I didn't know that there were any black folks in North Dakota. So uh, that's, that's good. That's racial harmony, apparently, up there, huh? Boy, oh, boy. So good job. So that's a case that we're going to be looking for in the North Dakota Supreme Court. And that's one, again, that is going to be landmark and interesting to see. We'll try and keep you updated on that. You know, sometimes I actually think it'd be interesting to be a constitutional attorney. But then, you know, you're taking a lot of these cases on at relatively small wage, not a lot of return on it. Aside from, you know, you are helping the country. But, you know, there's no money in that. You should try and be a trial lawyer instead. Because that's where the big bucks are. And, you know, you're doing so much for the country being a trial lawyer. You know, all those people that uh, got accidentally given an Advil instead of an aspirin in a hospital and then they sue for $10 million. That's really helping things out. All right, Mike at KMGX.com, our email address. You want to contact us on AOL Instant Messenger. My screen name over there is Michael Grav Show. Drop a line. Let us know that you're listening. Let us know that you're checking out the podcast. We're also on EFNet IRC, the channel net radio. All of our contact information and a lot more can be found at MichaelGrav.com. So that's always a, a good place to go. Yes, I am on the Facebook as well, but I don't really... Look, I have an official show page over there, but it was made by, well, never mind. I don't even want to get into it. It's just that, look for me, look for Michael Groff on Facebook. You'll probably find me. My ugly mug's up there someplace. I'm styling the new glasses. You know, listen, I got through the show today. Got through the show today. Um, I didn't really have any technical snafus or anything. I'm actually seeing better than I did before, which really doesn't matter too much with my eyesight. But what little I can see, I'm seeing it better. 
means I'm running the show a lot better. That means I'm going to get out of here right at the close. I'm slick. I got this down. All right, that's it. We'll see you next time. We'll see you tomorrow for another edition of Michael Graff in Exile, the podcast that's sweeping the land or something. Sleeping the land, yeah. Let us know. Uh, keep it, keep it spread. Keep it going. Have a great one. Good night.